0: now to the reading of God's holy word. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, his holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we... Rejoice and give thanks to you for uh, your word. We know it is our only infallible rule for faith and life to lead us and guide us not only in what we believe but in how we are to live. And we thank you as we have considered this book of James over the last several months and the very practical instruction and challenges that it gives. And now as we can come to this, uh, the final verses of this, of this book, we pray that your spirit would truly uh, bless your word to us and that as your word goes forth in the power of the spirit, we pray that it would truly find in, in each of our hearts that rich and fertile soil which will bring about a great and abundant fruit for your glory. We ask now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, as we have considered, the book of James places a great emphasis on the practical. As James has been exhorting his readers and ultimately exhorts us to to live lives in a way live our lives in a way that's consistent with our profession of faith in Christ Jesus. And at times that uh, we've seen, uh, James has come across uh, forceful, even, even harsh, but, but he's done this not to beat down his audience, but he's done so to spur them on from their spiritual slumber and to challenge them to examine their thoughts, their words, and their deeds In light of Jesus' own example and teaching, James has spoken directly to them because of his great love and concern for these believers in Christ who have suffered many trials, they've suffered persecution, (coughs) and are regularly, even daily, facing temptations that could lead them astray. And so though James wrote this letter centuries ago, well, we see that it clearly is relevant in our own day. But as James comes to the conclusion of his letter, you may notice that it's very different from uh, the personal greetings, benediction, and blessings that we usually find, for example, at the end of the letters of the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> so we don't find James saying, you know, hello, say hello to so-and-so, or there's not even the blessing of of peace, grace, uh, in Jesus Christ. Now, James ends his letter with just another practical charge. And yet, as we'll see, it's a very intimate and personal charge as he reminds them that they're brothers together in Christ Jesus. And concluding his letter this way, he's calling on them to maintain peace and unity within this body of believers who though they were redeemed and and they were renewed by the Spirit of Christ, yet they still struggle in the flesh with the remnant of the sin nature that's in them, even as we all do here. James challenges them and he challenges us to a ministry of reclaiming and restoring the one who may go astray. And he introduces this ministry with a conditional clause here in verse 19. He says, If anyone among you wanders from the truth. Now the if makes this seem like a A hypothetical situation so that the ministry of restoration should take place only if someone goes astray. But of course as we know from our own experiences, from what James has written in this letter, and even as we see throughout the rest of scriptures, if is no hypothetical. In fact it isn't a matter of if, but when someone wanders from the truth. Wandering from the truth happens... And unfortunately, it happens all too often, even for each and every one of us. <coughs> and again, as we see in the context of James, the truth isn't just doctrine and belief. But in James, truth is also how you would apply that doctrine and belief to your life. And so it's very, again, truth is very practical. And James' point all along has been, are you living your life consistent with what you profess and believe? Are you actually living that out in a consistent manner? What we believe and how we live of course, are closely tied together. And James had previously warned against those who profess to believe in God, but in practice were basically atheistic as they live their lives without regard to God and his law. So even though they said, Oh yes, I believe in God, and yet they went and they lived their lives as if God had nothing to say about how they are to live. Well, straying from the truth and wandering from the truth encompasses not only error in what one believes about the gospel, but also whether their thoughts, words, or deeds line up with the gospel and what we might call godly living. And so in this way, at various times and in various ways, we all then stumble and we all wander from the truth that God desires us to profess and live. And when we wander from the truth, whether it's in doctrine or in life, it's unbelief. It's it's heresy, it's hypocrisy, it's idolatry. It's sin. It's sin that separates us from the goodness of God and separates us from living in peace and unity with one another. Our daily struggles with sin and temptation. If we fail to resist will lead us astray from the truth. Now we may wonder, well, how is such a thing possible? Aren't we redeemed in Christ? Aren't we forgiven of our sins? Aren't we, by God's grace now, new creations in Christ Jesus? Well, indeed, if you profess faith in Christ and trust in Him alone for your salvation, well then, yes, you're all these things and, and certainly much more. But as we mentioned before, we are not yet made perfect in holiness and righteousness. There's still a remnant of the old sin nature that remains within us. And so daily we struggle to put off the old ways of sin and to put on the new way of living in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual battle that rages within us as we strive in God's grace to be more and more ...like Christ Jesus. But there are times... And ...many times... ...that we fail... ...in this battle. We fall prey to... to ...sin and temptation. And sometimes we do this... ...willingly and, and deliberately. Now we may be tired of... of ...fighting against temptation... ...and, and we're just overcome... With, ...with the desire to indulge ourselves... And so we just dive right in, we die right into sin, reveling in the moment of pleasure and and doing our best to to block out any any thought of God, any thought of his law, any thought of our of our guilt, blocking that out from our hearts and our minds, and the fall is often quick and sudden, and then unwilling, willing through this power of the spirit we realize that we've gone astray. We've gone astray from the truth. We've wandered off and that we've sinned against God. And if we don't come to our senses, and if we don't humble ourselves before Him in repentance, well, then we run the risk of hardening our hearts even further, thus prolonging our plunge into the depths of sin. And so you see, sometimes we can wander off from the truth in a very deliberate way. But this straying can also be done more gradually or perhaps as a result of spiritual laziness and ignorance. <coughs> and we do this when we neglect the means of grace that God has given to us for our continued growth in grace, our growth in grace. We begin by allowing other things to, to become priorities in our, in our lives so that we suddenly don't have time for the pursuit of our, of our spiritual duties and exercises. Right? We neglect devoted times of prayer. We neglect the reading and the studying of, of God's Word. We neglect even the gathering together of, with God's people on the Lord's Day. Or we miss out not only on the, on the worship and the fellowship, but we also may miss out on the blessing, the special blessing of the sacraments. And so since we aren't striving then to, to grow spiritually, since we become lazy in our spiritual duties, well then we begin to become lax in our attitude towards sin. We become weak. And we open ourselves up to even greater temptation and once we head down that path well then we've clearly have begun to wander away from the truth and so we can wander from the truth suddenly deliberately we can wander from the truth gradually and of course Another way that we can be led astray from the truth is by false teachers who entice us with words and, and thought, or, and, and though on the surface these words may seem sincere and more impressed by their eloquence and their charismatic personalities, but they subtly apply different meanings to familiar words and truth concepts so that a person can be pulled away from the truth without even realizing it. This is all the more reason, then, that we need to truly be diligent. We need to be diligent in our study of God's Word, so that we can attest these teachings and test the spirits to see if they truly are from God. We need to be able to do this, to be careful in our study. Because if we aren't, if we neglect the study of God's Word on our own, then we will not be able to discern truth from error and we will be led astray by false teachers. Well, Again, this leading away from the truth can either be in doctrine, or it can also be in life. Or in many cases, it's often a, a combination of both. Right? Those espousing a false doctrine are usually not going to be living a life that is conformed to the will of God. And of course, those who clearly aren't living their lives in in obedience to God are often driven to do so by faulty beliefs and doctrine. And so straying from the truth happens. It's certainly possible. In fact, if we'd honestly examine, even now, our own hearts, we'd see that we all too often wander off course and step away from the truth. It is a reality that we can expect but there's another condition to to this opening to this clause not only if anyone among you wanders from the truth but but then James adds the conjunction and it's not only just wandering from the truth and someone turns him back so the implication is that if someone wanders well then someone else will turn them back Or at least there seems to be an an understood duty or obligation for someone to intervene and turn the straying one back. Now it's true that some may go astray and, and no one turns them back. And unfortunately that happens too often. But James seems to be expecting that there will be some kind of intervention. And this intervention... It's what we call the ministry of restoration. And what we discover here is that there's a, really a corporate response and a responsibility that we all have when someone wanders away from the truth, whether in doctrine or in life. Now in our individualistic day and age, this is an important truth for us to be reminded of. Because we've grown accustomed to think of our religion, our our faith, and how we live and practice that faith as something strictly personal. Something that we shouldn't wear on our sleeves, or something that we shouldn't talk about openly. But of course, as you read through the Scriptures, and especially as you read through the book of James, as we have been, we find no evidence of such an individualistic view of our faith in Christ Jesus. You see, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. We're all together. We're all saints in Christ Jesus. Christ hasn't called just one person to be His, but He's called a, a chosen generation, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, as Peter uh, says in 1 Peter 1, know, 1 Peter 2. And so together... Those for whom Christ died, we know that we're a body. And each part is blessed with a different and necessary gift, but, but which can't really uh, function properly without all the other parts. Right? Paul talks about that in Romans 12 and First and Corinthians 12. Right? You can't have a head without uh, also having the, the hands and the feet. You can't have the feet without having uh, the head and the hands. They all must work together each part doing their own using their gifts as God has purpose and so as members of the body of Christ well we're all dependent upon Christ but we're also interdependent upon one another we're all interconnected because of our common faith in Christ Jesus and Christ calls us to be one in Him even as He is one in the Father. And James addresses this connectedness in the context here in verse 16. <clears throat> as he charges, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Now as we've considered before, this doesn't mean that we have to then go and, and air our dirty laundry before everyone else to see. No, it's, he's speaking about accountability. And as a, as a body of believers, we should be challenged to hold each other accountable. And this is how we actually show our love and our concern for one another. And it's really, it's the ultimate way that we can love our neighbors as ourselves. To intervene in their lives and in such a way so as to guide them back to the truth, if they were to wander off. Well again, our individualistic approach to faith bristles at the thought of this. Might We say, who, who are you to, to interfere with my life and, and judge my choices? I'm just over here living my life as I want to live, and I'm not bothering you. Why are you coming here and telling me what to do? Well James knows of no such resistance. Note how he says that if a brother wanders and another brother brother intervenes, it's the other brother that turns him back. And so you see here that the straying brother is not going to come back on his own. Someone needs to go after him. He's not patiently waiting there for help. He's wandered from the truth and is in sin. But as a brother or sister in Christ... You're called to actively go and intervene and to help the one who may not think they need help. Friends, is your love for one another just something that you say you do? Where's the action? If your brother or sister is straying from the truth and is headed toward danger, if you truly love them, shouldn't you intervene? Certainly, wouldn't you want someone else to do the same thing for you if you were headed toward danger? To intervene? To spare you from destruction? Well, unfortunately, because we're often too afraid of offending people, we don't intervene. And we end up turning a blind eye. And and our brother and sister falls deeper and deeper into sin. Now the prophet Ezekiel reminds us of of our great responsibility about this very thing. In Ezekiel 3, the Lord through Ezekiel says, Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I place on an, an obstacle before him, he will die, since you have not warned him. He shall die in his sin, and his righteous deeds which he has done shall not be remembered. See, if you see somebody and you don't warn them, and they die, they're going to be destroyed. But then the Lord says, but his blood I will require at your hand. He says, then he continues, though. however, if you have warned the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, so if you you do intervene, well then he shall surely live. Because he took heed to the warning, and you have delivered yourself. See, if we stand by and do nothing, then we not only endanger our brother, but we are endangering ourselves, and we will be held to account. And so we can't stand by silently if our brother or sister sins. And if we truly love them, if we truly love one another, we must warn each other. And though they'll be held accountable for their own sin, that's true. But we will still have to give an answer if we failed to warn them about wandering from the truth. And we're called to warn so that we might be able to restore them. Well, how is this ministry to be carried out? And as you can see, it's obvious that it could very easily be something that's misunderstood and, and abused. And we find uh, some clues, for example, in Matthew uh, chapter 18, after Jesus finishes the parable of the lost sheep, interestingly enough, in which he, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and seeks the one who's strayed away. Right, That's the context. In and, and Matthew 18, the, the lost sheep has, has left, he's wandered off, and the good shepherd goes after him in order to restore him and to correct him from his wandering. Well, just after that, Jesus then continues with this instruction. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, we're not going to go over this in much detail, but here are three key steps in this ministry of restoration. And this first step is very critical. If you see your brother in sin, you must go to him in private and lovingly confront him. Now, this doesn't mean that you just kind of proactively go snooping around looking for some sin in your brother's life so that you can point it out to him. No, but if you see the sin, if you see it in plain sight, well then you go to him in private and you address it with him. Now, too often, people skip over this, and instead of going to the person in private, they begin to tell others, or they, they begin to tell the pastor, the elders. Well, this basically amounts to gossip. If you have not first approached the individual about it. You see, if we truly love our brother, we will go to them privately, so as not to embarrass them to them privately and point them back to the path of truth. That's the first step. Now, if they don't respond to that, if they don't uh, see the error of their ways, and they don't turn from their sin, well then you are, are moved to the second step, which is to take one or two others, and again, you go to that person in love, and you confront them about their sin. And the others are there to not only uh, be a witness at the attempt of correction, But they're also there to offer further support and encouragement and direction. But then see they become further witnesses. And you need at least two or three witnesses in order to bring charges. Well if they still don't turn back from their sin at that point. Well then it should be brought to the elders of the church. For a more uh, formal process of church discipline. And this is what we see Paul in that passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul instructing the Corinthians to do, to, to put this one out, stop tolerating his sin, and put him out. And of course, we know that the hope and the goal of church discipline, and Paul even mentions that in, in that First Corinthians 4, 5 passage, and the purpose is that the offending person might turn from their sin, that they might be restored to the fellowship and peace and unity of the church. And so that's the process. It's very, it's very simple. But there's a certain manner, though, of course. <clears throat> and again, we see this simple process, but there's a way to do it, and there's a way not to do it. Now, some people believe that it's their spiritual gift to point out faults in others. But there's no such spiritual gift, and it's certainly not what we mean here by the ministry of of Restoration. This ministry requires ultimately an attitude of true humility. And that humility involves acknowledging that even myself, that I'm an imperfect sinner, saved by the grace of God. And so it requires then a real openness. Not only acknowledging that I sin and, and have shortcomings too, and I have faults and don't always do things right, but also you need to have a real openness to the same show of love and concern. See, some people are, are good about pointing out faults in others, but when someone points out their faults, well, then they quickly get offended. No, you need to have an openness. If you're going to be going about uh, correcting a brother in love, well, you need to be open to receive the same kind of correction. And again, that's what Jesus talks about in, in Matthew 7, about judging right first you've got to deal with the with the huge timber in your own eye before you deal with the speck in your brother's eye it's a It's a similar application here you've got to be willing for someone to deal with the speck in your eye and receive that within the spirit of which it's demonstrated, and especially the spirit of love and so m- restoration must be motivated by. By love for one another. And it's also to keep, important to keep the goal in mind here. Again, the goal is, is restoration of your brother. The goal isn't to exalt yourself above your brother. in kind of in a self-righteous way. And again, people like to point out the faults of others in order to lift themselves up. And the goal isn't to exalt yourself. It isn't to punish or condemn someone for their sin. And it's certainly not to judge or question their faith. James addressed this back in chapter 4. When he warned against speaking against one another and judging one another. The goal of the ministry of restoration is to demonstrate love. And to restore the one who strays. To restore them back to the fellowship of the body. Finally this ministry involves being active to sow love and minister to one another. So that the wandering might actually be prevented in the first place. The writer to the Hebrews notes this in Hebrews 3, verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. So there we see the same uh, challenge, about the warning about wandering away in the heart of unbelief and and. And moving into sin, well, what's the, what's the cure? Well, exhorting one another daily. Right? Each person is responsible, of course, we know, for their own sins. But by seeking to exhort or encourage one another daily, well, we can actually work to prevent each other from wandering away in the first place. Now typically a person isn't going to go astray if they're regularly being encouraged by others as well as regularly giving encouragement to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? So it's how the, the body of Christ is to work together. Encouraging one another and spurring one another on each and every day. Well if we're all actively doing that, well then the likelihood that one of us will wander from the truth Will greatly decrease. But to do this kind of encouragement though. Here's the challenging part. Well you, you can't be off in a corner somewhere. Right? You, have to, you have to work at being involved in, in people's lives. And allowing them to be involved in your lives. And, and sharing needs and concerns. And praying for one another. Encouraging one another. And, and building one another up. If you're active in such a ministry beforehand, well then when the time comes to lovingly correct someone of wandering off the path, well it's very likely going to come across more sincerely as the person who strays is going to know that you've really been caring about them all along because you've been encouraging them all along. And so the ministry of restoration is a good and necessary ministry that each member of the church ought to be involved in. And the results of this ministry are truly a great blessing. The first result is that you'll have effectively won your brother. You would have reclaimed him and helped restore him to the fellowship of the, of, of the saints. And the peace and unity of the body will then be restored. Now remember that those to whom James is writing had a lot of, of conflicts of various com- uh, kinds among themselves... And the peace and unity of their fellowship was was often threatened. But the challenge given here to pursue this ministry of restoration, that peace would return. As iron sharpens iron, brother would encourage brother as their love for one another would be greatly displayed in their desire to restore and reclaim those who strayed away. The one who's restored would also be encouraged. They'd be encouraged by the love shown to them. They'd be encouraged by the assurance of their faith that would be gained. They would be encouraged by the great gift of forgiveness that they would receive through Jesus Christ. And so there's also a great encouragement not only for the one who strays, but there's even an encouragement here for the one who's active in this ministry. And James says in verse 20, Let him know that is, the one who turns him back, that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will (coughs) save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. See, James wants them to know that the one who is active in restoring will have saved the person from the judgment and even eternal death. Now, of course, the language here, salvation and forgiveness, seems rather strong. And, of course, we need to, to remember and acknowledge that it isn't the restorer who actually saves the person from death and, and covers over their sins. Because salvation belongs to the Lord and, and only God can forgive sins. And so the encouragement here isn't that, that we would become the person's savior. But rather, that God... God in His grace and His mercy. That God would be so willing. And that He would be greatly pleased to use us. As the instruments of His grace. To save and minister forgiveness to those who might go astray. We would have done our duty. And our brother would have been, been saved. And it's God who would receive all the glory. And so friends, let's be challenged then by this ministry of restoration. And it's greatly needed in the church as the church is is full of sinners like you and me. And we need one another to to walk alongside us, to encourage us, to build us up, to, to pray for us and to be there to demonstrate love to us when we wander from the truth and when we fall into sin. Leading and guiding us back and helping to restore us our place in the body of Christ where we all enjoy the great blessings and benefits of God's gracious salvation and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ truly beloved loved one another and restore one another and do it all to the glory of God alone let's pray O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you for this this word, for this challenge and encouragement, and certainly is something that is much needed in in the church today, even in our own congregation here, that we would, would truly so love one another, that we would be mindful to encourage one another daily, and that when we would see one straying away from the truth, whether it's in, in faith and doctrine or whether it's in life that we might intervene and point them back to the way in which they should walk and that we would do this with true and evident love for them and that it would be received well and that you would even <clears throat> prepare our hearts to receive it well when a brother or sister who loves us comes to us and challenges us regarding our sin and calls us back to the truth and we rejoice and give thanks O Lord that we have such an example in what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished for us we praise you and thank you that, that he didn't remain in his glorious position there on the throne in heaven but the son of god jesus came and intervened into our life here on earth and he came and he gave himself identifying with with us in our sin and our misery And yet he himself had no sin. And then he gave himself as that once for all perfect sacrifice for our sins. Laying down his own life. That we might have forgiveness. That we might have peace. That we might have reconciliation. Not only with you but with one another. And that now we are empowered by his grace. Through his spirit to carry out this ministry of restoration. As we remember how we have been restored to you through Christ Jesus. And because of your great love for us, that you didn't leave us wandering around, headed toward destruction. And so we praise you and thank you, O God, for these things. And we pray that your spirit would apply these truths to each of our hearts. That you would draw us each closer to yourself, to the praise and glory of your holy name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.